Yeah, so today we're going to be looking at what it means to follow Jesus, how to follow Jesus, and what Luke's Gospel says about that. But before we get going, a brief discussion looking at kind of what do you guys think that it means to follow Jesus? What does it look like in your own lives? What does it look like in someone else's life that, you, that you're close to? Um, yeah, just kind of like what are your overall thoughts and impressions on that? I'm going to say like follow his like good example. Yeah. Thing another one is following in obedience. It's so easy to go against what God want, wants for you in your life um, and go for what you want. But being able to just hear what he's leading you in and how he's leading you to live, live your life and then acting in a way that God would admire and acting as if he's always there because he is always there. Sometimes we sort of forget as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Sorry to put you on the spot there, Theo. But um, a quick question kind of following on from what you said. Um, so you were talking about you know, listening, listening to God, listening to kind of what his plan is for us. How can we distinguish between what we're thinking and what God might be saying? Just kind of, yeah, what would you kind of say about that? Yeah, I, I would say go to scripture because scripture is such a good guide um it's the word of god and if you're not getting straight visions from god sometimes people will get visions and that'll be clear as daylight but you know most of what i've got in my spiritual journey has been from the bible and through prayer i i pray about it first and then read and that sort of gets a message for what god wants for me and also through um elders so i talk to people who are not a lot more developed in their faith and they advised me and helped me and guide me into what I'm doing. So yeah, speak to others. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Thank you very much to you. Um, it's quite an individual thing. I know like in my life, because the profession I'm going into with dance, like that's very much a lifestyle and sometimes the way the industry works can be quite contradictory. So, kind of keeping my priority in God rather than the industry is quite a tough thing sometimes. Yeah, definitely. It's like living for God, but not for people. But it's hard when you're kind of surrounded by things which kind of might go in contrary to that. Yeah, definitely. For me, following Jesus is living every day as if I'm living for him. And in everything I do, even if I, I don't want to do it, I say to myself, Lord, I'll do this for you. For me, living as a Christian, living as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of just making that conscious decision, as you say, like every single day. Yeah, well, as people before me have said, it's a very personal thing. We all have been chosen and called, but we've been called to different things. So it's all about drawing near to God and he draws near to us. So like that can be through scripture, that can just be through praying. But yeah, I just think it's about every day just continuing to try and get in the right mindset to want to have a positive impact um, and do that through what we read, what we hear from our Christian friends maybe, but like just trying to live in a way that we don't end the day and think um, maybe God wanted me not to do that. Maybe that's the, the shame that kicks in. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it, kind of taking each day and thinking, and I guess you're yeah, kind of like that hindsight, you're looking back and seeing like what, yeah, what would have God wanted to do and where was I aligning with that? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I kind of just agree with what people have said already, just like living uh, like each day and in, in like 
choosing the best opportunities to live for him rather than you know doing other things i think the same as what other people have said yeah it's that um conscious decision like it all kind of comes back to it's kind of like hung on the same stuff that conscious decision to live for god and not for us i sort of think that like just like um expanding on what we were saying before about like you'll have that conscious your conscience will kind of tell you between what god wants and what you want and you'll kind of know but then sometimes we do make the wrong decisions and we do do things that maybe god doesn't want us to do but you know through doing those things we can learn from that and know then what god does want us to do yeah you know as you say kind of we are ultimately all human and we're all gonna fall short of what god wants us to do but it's having that humility to be like you know like i can't do this by myself like we need to rely on god any other final thoughts on that before we move on um the verse like that says take up your cross and follow me um really like stood out to me um so kind of to not follow the ways of the world but to like follow god and like what he says to do and stuff so yeah <laughs> yeah definitely yeah thank you very much and yeah that verse as you say it really kind of just encapsulates it perfectly because you know the very nature of the cross all the symbolism and imagery behind that it was painful and brutal and you know it's kind of shown that to follow jesus we have to be prepared to give everything to him every day because ultimately like you know we're storing up our treasures in heaven not on earth so we can have that eternal hope that is in christ right so today we are looking at obviously how to follow jesus looking at luke 9 43 to 62 and some kind of things i kind of got off the back of that discussion there's a couple of bible verses that spring to mind immediately off of what we've been discussing and they're both from romans actually a letter written by paul and the first one is actually the opening part of romans romans 1 1 uh, where it reads paul a servant of christ jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of god and you know this verse he kind of it kind of sums up a couple of things you know you've got this idea of calling how you know we have to listen to god we have to keep that rooted in scripture talk to others who are more developed in their spiritual journey you know paul's calling was very unique and very clear if you have his damascus road uh, experience you know he changed from being sorry persecuted christians to being an apostle and you know he set apart he went totally against what people kind of expected uh, him to be and then the other one is you know romans 12 2 which again kind of just encapsulates that last half it reads do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that's really just encouragement to walk in the footsteps of jesus to kind of live for him and not for the world even if that means even when that means going against what culture says is morally correct or what is seen as the right thing to do just to remain firmly rooted in christ and, you know, going off that um, verse that Nim mentioned about, you know, taking up our crosses, we've got to remember the footsteps of Jesus, how they were full of pain, sacrifice, betrayal and suffering. His life shows what following him is like. It shows that, you know, we have to be prepared to give everything in the same way that he gave everything for us. Uh, the reading today is taken from Luke 9, 43 to 62. And if anyone is keen to read that, that would be fantastic. All right. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. 
While everyone was marveling at all what Jesus did, he said to, the, to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they, they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside them. And he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is the least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whatever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to, the, went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. The man replied, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Amazing. Thank you very much, Elliot. So, when reading this kind of passage, it's important to understand the context in which it is set. So we can see this first kind of section uh, from Luke 43 to 50. You've got to look at where it is in the text. We can see that it follows Jesus' transfiguration and a great healing, where the disciples have just seen Jesus in his heavenly glory, and Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed boy. You can even see here at the start of verse 43, it says, they were all amazed and everyone was marveling. And it is while everyone was marveling that Jesus comes in with reality. He comes straight in with predicting his death a second time. You know, straight after this vision of heavenly glory and power over demons, he just comes straight in with this concept that even though he's already mentioned it before, it goes totally against what people were expecting. The Jewish expectation of the Messiah that was predicted through the Old Testament the great prophets have prophesied about this great messiah they believed was meant to turn the roman empire over to israel this was a common and deeply ingrained idea you know they wanted a strong and powerful leader to overthrow the romans to bring justice to israel for the years of oppression that they had endured and you can see how deeply ingrained these ideas are because it continues all the way up to the start of acts one Acts 1 to 6, this is just before Jesus ascends into heaven. Again, the disciples say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? There's this expectation that a great warrior akin to David would come back and overthrow the Romans. But we can see here, verse 43 to 45, Jesus bursts the bubble of excitement. And we can see that it's clearly not a declaration of war. We can actually see that Jesus announces that he will allow himself to be captured and executed by Rome. You know, the very people that Israel believe that the Messiah should be here to overthrow. But we can clearly see that 
the disciples still don't get it despite jesus saying you know listen to this he's already told them once he's telling them to listen to it again i mean if you translate the original greek literally it can literally mean verse 44 where he says listen carefully to what i'm about to tell you it can be translated as like literally take these words into your ears you know we can clearly see that this is essential and it's something that we must not gloss over we can see that jesus is going to go like totally against culture totally against expectations because this is what god has planned out for him and we can see here after he said this you know they don't understand what it means and they don't they don't want to ask him about it you can see here in the kind of next part of this passage verse 46 to 48 the disciples start arguing um you know there's an argument that kind of breaks out between them and it's over who is going to be the messiah's right hand man really you know who is going to be the greatest out of all of them and kind of looking back through the text you can see that peter john and james you know they could be kind of seen as the special three almost you know they were there when jairus's daughter was raised from the dead they saw the transfiguration you know you can almost imagine the scene you know peter's trying to one-up the others like he's even trying to elevate himself yet again above this kind of small group of three he's probably say something along the lines of oh you know jesus used my boat to preach from or jesus used my house as a kind of a central hub while we were in capernaum and you know either way you know it's clearly not a very godly or upright conversation and i think it's you know important to remember that these disciples they were human as well i mean it says in acts that they were unschooled ordinary men i think it's often nowadays tend to kind of glamorize the disciples and the apostles but it's essentially to remember that they were just men and women who partnered with the holy spirit and it was through the holy spirit that they were able to do all the great miracles that they did so we can see here you know after they're talking about their discussion they're kind of arguing amongst themselves jesus steps in he knows their thoughts from a prompting from the holy spirit and here again we can see jesus's upside down world kind of coming yet again into practice you know he's talking about how humility is the currency of god's kingdom how greatness is not measured by you know how elevated above others we are but by how much we stoop for others to serve in the same way that god who created the heavens and earth stoops down to us to have a personal relationship with us despite our numerous sins despite the fact that we've turned away from in the past you know god still chooses to stoop down for us and in the same way we should stoop down and serve others and you know it's important to remember that there's nothing wrong with seeking greatness in god's kingdom there's nothing wrong with that providing we do it by following jesus's example not the world's example you know don't jostle for the position don't fight to be above anyone else just revel in the joy and peace that we are children of god that we are sons and daughters of the one true god and you know going back to the idea of humility it's really essential that we remember that you know by humbling ourselves we acknowledge that we need god you know like we can't do this by ourselves we can't do this alone we need god to sustain us we need god to prop us up and to work through us because there's no way we can do this on our own limited human resources and yeah this kind of account is longer in matthew's gospel but luke kind of he shortens it down to keep the chronology and like thematic of what he's trying to get across here of what it means to follow jesus he, he kind of shortens it down to keep it all intact to keep his to keep his like, account logical and concise you know he is a historian after all 
So we can see here the next bit, verse 49 to 50. They've just had this conversation. And then verse 49, John kind of steps in and he's like, Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. And, you know, this may just seem like another conversation, but it's actually kind of John trying to resist this teaching. You know, it says that it was said in reply to Jesus's words. And ultimately, he complains about someone else who's driving out demons in Jesus's name. And kind of the literal translation is, you know, he is not following with us. It's like, you know, oh, look, he's not part of our gang. Surely he can't be doing that. And Jesus, you know, turns around and he quotes um, Numbers 11.29, where it reads, whoever is not against you is for you. And that's essential to remember that we mustn't treat other believers and churches as our rivals. You know, again, it goes back to exactly what Luke was saying in the kind of earlier verses, that humility is the currency of God's kingdom, that we must humble ourselves. We mustn't try and jostle for authority and power on this earth. We should just serve and follow God's will. But it's important to remember that this doesn't apply to those who aren't following Jesus at all. This man who John's talking about, it's clearly a man who believes in Jesus, who is following him. But just because he's not in the same kind of group, Jesus is saying, no, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't look down on him. You shouldn't condemn him. He is still following me. But yeah, but it doesn't apply to those who are not following Jesus at all. So looking at the kind of next section, you know, 51 to 56 is kind of uh, Samaritan opposition, the next part of this passage. And in this section, Jesus raises the stakes. He's kind of just taking it up um, little by little. Yeah, just slowly increasing tension, increasing just everything that's going on around him. So he's currently moving from Caesarea Philippi to Galilee. So Caesarea Philippi, if you can imagine the Sea of Galilee uh, like a clock, I'm going to spare you my uh, artistic skills <laughs> this week. But yeah, if you imagine the Sea of Galilee like a clock, at the two o'clock position, ish between one and two, you've got Caesarea Philippi, which is kind of like the heart of Gentile civilization. And Jesus is moving from Caesarea Philippi across to Galilee. So he's kind of moving from two o'clock to 11, 10, 11 o'clock, which is where Galilee is. But he doesn't stop in Galilee. And, you know, if we go back looking at last week, you know, we're talking all about turning points, um, how you know Jesus is turning to face Jerusalem. So he doesn't stop at Galilee. He keeps going. He keeps walking through Galilee and he turns south, heading towards Jerusalem. And I was just wondering, from chapter nine. What has Jesus done twice? What has he said twice in this chapter that clearly highlights the focus is shifting towards Jerusalem? I mean, he predicts his death twice, but I don't know whether or not that's what you were aiming at. Yeah, that, that is, that, that's what I was going for. Yeah, good job. So this is the second time that he's predicted his death within like, you know, 20, 30 verses. And, you know, he knows that he will die in Jerusalem. It's been predicted. He knows that he is going and turning towards his death. And he say, yeah, so he's predicted it twice in this. And then he doesn't, um, he doesn't predict it again for a while. But then we can see again in 1831 to 34, he predicts his death a third and final time. And yeah, this just kind of really highlights that Jesus, he knows where he's going. He knows, even now he kind of knows what's in store for him. And like he knows what he has kind of been called to do. And he can, you can clearly see that Luke is shifting the focus from kind of Galilean ministry uh, towards Jerusalem and ultimately towards the, the sacrifice that Jesus will make. So we can see, obviously, Jesus has, he's come from Caesarea Philippi across the Galilee and now he's heading down south. So the road through 
Samaria. That's the road he's got to take to get from Galilee to Jerusalem down here in the south. He's got to go through this region called uh, Samaria. And the Jews and the Samaritans have a lot of history. You know, they they hated one another, basically. And I mean, you can actually see in a passage that we're going to look at next week, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, that's why it's kind of so shocking that the Samaritan to stop and help this man, because Samaritans and Jews have kind of been at odds with each other for many years. And we can clearly see that here, actually, you know, in verse 53, you know, obviously Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. People would have known who he was and he was not welcomed at all. The Samaritans did not welcome him. And we can actually see that the people that he's traveling with, you know, James and John, they are furious. You know, they will kind of want to go old school style and rain down fire from heaven and smite these Samaritans for rejecting Jesus. You know, it alludes back to two Kings 1, 9 to 12 where Elijah calls fire from heaven. And that's kind of also where the name for James and John, the sons of thunder, comes from due to the you know the fiery tempers. But we can actually see here that Jesus, he doesn't go along with that idea. He rebukes them and he's like, you know, don't do this, you know, just let's just move on. And he suggests, you know, another alternative. Let's just, you know, leave these people no calling down fire here today. But a bit of irony actually if you look towards the kind of story of the early church in the book of Acts, you can actually see in Acts 14 to 17, John goes to the Samaritans and he baptizes them with the fire of the Holy Spirit. You know, he goes to them and he preaches the word of God and he baptizes them with a different kind of fire, the fire of the spirit, which is quite interesting. And it just really shows that, you know, we must die to our own self-centered passions and listen to Jesus every single time. We must return good for the evil that is done to us. We must remember that we always have a higher calling and that we must always, you know, listen out for what God is telling us to do. You know, study scriptures, speak to people who are further along in their faith journey and just work out what it is that God has planned for us. Because I can say with confidence that God has a plan for each and every one of you here this evening, because God knows you from the moment when you were in your mother's womb. He knows you and he has a plan for you. So now we get on to the last bit, looking at the cost of following Jesus, verses 57 to 62. And this passage is always, it's always confused me. And I've always kind of wrestled with it, kind of in the same way that Jesus, like, you know, he challenges these people that he meets. And I found it quite a challenging passage myself. So you can see here, you know, Jesus is, um, he's going along, he's walking along this road and he's challenging some people he meet. And, you know, he meets three people and it clearly shows that when we follow Jesus, we must expect to face challenges. So these three people, they each cannot face the cost of following Jesus, but they each cannot face it in three different ways. So we can see this first one. There's just an unnamed man walking along the road and he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. That was verse 58. And this, you know, is a willingness to step outside our comfort zone, to step away from whatever we might take comfort in that isn't Christ. You know, whether that's financial security, whether that's family, whether that's education, relationships, whatever it is, we must remember that we have to be prepared to give that all up, to forsake that certainty and security of home and just trust God no matter what, no matter what he might have prepared for us no matter what he might have laid out for us in the future so that's the first man and we can see that you know he's unwilling to step outside his comfort zone step outside normality for god 
And then the second man, Jesus calls him, he says, follow me. And we can see this essential word here. It actually comes up twice in the next two men. And it's but, which when you immediately see but, you think of excuses. We can see here, verse 59, you know, Jesus calls him, follow me. And it says, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. This always perplexed me. And I always thought that this seemed really harsh. You know, why is Jesus saying you cannot bury your father? Like, is he just saying that we like shouldn't honor our father and mother? Like, is that kind of what he's going for? Well, the answer is no, that's not what Jesus is meaning. And that's not the motive behind the man who is saying, Lord, first let me go bury my father. The essential thing to remember is that these men are a long way from home. They are Jewish and, you know, they're not Samaritans. We know the Samaritans have rejected Jesus. So therefore, it means that they are either one or two regions away from their hometown. And you've got to remember that this is first century. There's no mobile phones. There's no email. There's no way of getting a message that someone's father had died that quickly across that many regions. And so there's there's that kind of aspect of it. But there's also the fact that it's more likely that his father isn't dead, but he wants to just wait with him for the years until he dies in the future. So he's basically just procrastinating and just putting off following Jesus. He's just making excuses saying, you know, I can't do this now. And that actually reminds me of a passage in Acts when Paul, he's a prisoner and he's talking to the Roman governor, Felix. And he's talking to him and he's you know, talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus. And this Roman governor is like, he's feeling convicted by it, but he doesn't have the integrity and the humility to turn around and accept that he needs God in his life. So he just keeps putting it off. He keeps saying, oh, you know, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And he basically just is just delaying following Jesus. And that's kind of the same idea that we can see here. He's just putting it off into the um, future as kind of a way of saying that I'm not ready um, to do that because I'm too focused on the world. And then the final man here, verse 61 to 62, says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Again, we have that word, but excuses. And again, you know, this seems harsh. You know, why would Jesus not let him say goodbye to his family? Again, we've got to look at the geography of this. As I said, these men would have been Jewish, these men that Jesus is talking to. And at this time, at this point in the book, they are probably somewhere between Samaria and Judah. So you've got um, kind of like three regions, if you will. You've got Galilee, Samaria, Judah. They're probably about here, between the two of them. So it's likely that they would have left Galilee and gone down to here, and then they suddenly want to go back up and say goodbye to their family. It doesn't really make sense. It's clear to you know, like, they couldn't have been from Samaria. So they must have just left gone on a journey one or two regions away and then like why would they need to go back and say goodbye an example would be if you're going from snowdonia northwest wales and you're going on a journey and you have family in snowdonia you're going on a journey to the peak district so you set off from your journey you say your goodbyes to your family and when you reach the welsh border you're suddenly like oh wait i need to go back and say goodbye to my family and then i'm going to do you know what I mean? it, just, it just doesn't make sense so it's clear to see that jesus isn't saying you know He's not being harsh here. It's just these men are putting off. They're not wholly committing themselves to following Jesus. We can see here that, you know, Jesus, he demands everything. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I mean, you know, that's a clear allusion to Lot's wife in Genesis who cannot leave behind her sinful past and the sinful past of the city in which they live. She turns around, she gets turned into a pillar of salt. You know, this idea that we must be totally fixated 
on where we're going and on the hope that we have in Christ. You know, we're called to be apart. We're called to be set apart from the world. We can't have one foot in both camps. You know, it says numerous times in the New Testament, you know, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. And also that, you know, no one can serve two masters. We can't claim to live for Christ, but then actually live for the world. We have to make that decision to live utterly for Christ. Just to wrap this all up, really, is that we must stay focused on proclaiming the kingdom of God. We must remain uh, fixated on that and what that means in our everyday lives. And just a question to think about is, will you follow Jesus with all that you've got? And to kind of wrap this up, I'm actually just going to read a creed from Fellowship of the Unashamed. It's an anonymous work, and I just think it's really powerful. So I'm just going to read that to you guys now, and then we'll break up into some small groups. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I have stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, top, recognized, praised, regarded or rewarded. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few, but my guide is reliable and my vision is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let down, or slow up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. For I am a disciple of Jesus. And those words, I think, are just really powerful and just really show that we must make a conscious decision every day to live for Christ and to follow his example and to live out the gospel uh, in which we believe. But yeah, that's all from me. And we're going to shortly break off into some small groups.